at the bottom of Nundalad Amud Aleph. Um, we have the Memra, which we're familiar with because it comes in, in Pirkei Avot as well, in the fifth Perik of Pirkei Avot, Tanur Abonan, Asarad Varim Nivru Berev Shabbat, Ben Ashmashot. There are ten things that were created on Erev Shabbos, in the, uh, the, the first Erev Shabbos, in the time of the Bria. There were ten things that were created just before Shabbos came in, Ben Ashmashot. Uh, and it goes through the various ten things, and then says, Ve'yeshomrim, and some say, Af HaMazikin. The Mazikin were also created at that time. Mazikin are the forces capable of causing damage. What are those forces capable of, of causing damage? So there's, uh, we don't have any comment of it here in, in, in Rashi, but the, the Rav, on the Rav Mibatunura, on the, on the Mishnah, on Perkeovis, explains what that is. Now the Rav Mibatunura is a very important and fascinating person. Uh, so his 15th century, end of 15th century, beginning of the 16th century, from Batanura in Italy, um, and comes to Eretz Yisroel, uh, and uh, has a fascinating journey to Eretz Yisroel, which he chronicles in letters which we have today, that are even translated into English. His whole journey from Batanura to Eretz Yisroel was about an 18-month journey through various different cities and Kahilas. And he comes to Yerushalayim, where he's greeted with, with a lot of COVID, and made the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim. Now, if you think the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim was a big thing in those days, you've got to understand, as he writes in his, in his journals, there were 70 families in Yerushalayim. That was the size of the kid. It was a village of 70 mishpochas. That's what there was in Yerushalayim. And they were so poor, they didn't have a Sefer Torah. So imagine being appointed the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, and there's not a single Sefer Torah in Yerushalayim. The, the Rav himself had investments in Italy, so he used the income from the investments to build the community in Yerushalayim. And he was able to establish, he was a real Rav, he established institutions, and he got Sifre Torah going, and he established a yeshiva. And so when, after the, the Spanish expulsion, some more people started coming to Yerushalayim, the foundation was there. They came to an existing community. Uh, it was already, there was already something to come for. So the, the Batanura, who we know as the Rav because of his parish on Mishnayis. The, the Rav on Mishnayis is like Rashi on, on Gomorrah. You can't learn Mishnayis without, without the Rav. Um, today, of course, you can learn anything without anybody because you just, <laughs> it's just a day. You don't need, you don't need Rabbeim, you don't need Rishonim, you don't need Achronim. You've just, you just, you don't need anything. Uh, but is that Torah? Learning, learning Mishnayis with Rav is, 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 is what we do. And the Rav on this mission is very interesting. It's interesting in what he says, and it's interesting in what he doesn't say. And I'm going to explain that too, because out of what he doesn't say, you learn the art of the Rav and of Rashi, what they did that was so very, very brilliant. So look at the, the, the Rav says the following. Afha mazikin, what are these mazikim? They're the shedim. Shedim, in English, we translate as ghosts. They're spiritual forces that are destructive. And they exist in the world. Demons, spiritual forces that are destructive. And then the Rav gives how they came to be. Why did the Rebbeinu create spiritual forces that are destructive in the world? What's the big idea? Well, no problem, says the Rav. I'll tell you exactly how it happened. If you were concerned about how the, why the Rebbeinu would have done such a thing, simple. After Hashem finished making Odom V'chavo, he planned to make many more people. And he got busy making all these people. And he created their neshomis. Oh, 
It, Shabbos came in before he finished the job. So there were these forces with, with neshamas that didn't have gufim. So they couldn't do mitzvahs, they couldn't, they couldn't grow, they couldn't develop. They were just left as these strange neshamas floating around the world. They remained spirits without bodies. That's what the Rav says. So that's even more absurd on the surface than, than the statement itself. What the Rebbe was busy making and, and the time ran out of time. Shabbos came in and what, what was that all about? So you've got to go back to the source of the Rav. So where the Rav gets that from is not only from Kabbalah, but, it, but there's a Medrash. There's a Medrash in Breshis on the Pasha where Rebbe Yomer, Eilu HaShedim Shibor HaKadosh Baruch Hu Et Nishmatan Uval Levirot Et Kufan V'Kidesh HaShabbat V'Lo Bra'an. All the same words as the Rav. Lelamedecha, says the, the Rebbe. The Medrash adds. Why? Because Hashem wanted to teach us a life lesson. What did he want to teach us? Lelamedecha Derech Eretz Men HaShedim. Because if you're busy in the, on the most amazing business deal, Erev Shabbos comes, comes Shabbos time, we say, drop it. He's, he sets the standard for you. That the Rebbeinu Shalom himself was busy trying to create what, what greater business opportunity is there than to create human beings? What, what better startup is there than starting the world up with human beings, with people? And he's just getting going. So he looks at his watch. Ah, time to stop. Ah, we're gonna, the result of this is we're going to have unfinished beings in the world? Okay. So you'll have unfinished beings in the world. This idea that everything has to be completed is, is, is an idea that, that the Rebbe wanted to teach us is flawed. Everything doesn't have to be completed. Uh, or we have to define completion very carefully. Schubert's Eighth Symphony is called the Unfinished Symphony. And it wasn't because he died. You know, he lived for, for several years after, after he finished the two movements of the Eighth Symphony. Uh, but, but, the, but it's the Unfinished Symphony, and it's an amazing piece of music that the orchestras play all over the world. There are many works of art that are unfinished. The Mishnah Brura planned to write on the other parts of Shulchan Aruch, particularly on Choshen Mishpat. The fact that he didn't finish it doesn't mean the Mishnah Brura is missing anything. An unfinished thing is also valuable. And, and what, the, what the Medrash is teaching us is that there are times when you've got to define completion by task. So if I give you a, a task to do for me, you're working for me, and I say, please finish this report for me, and you come back and it's not done, I say, what happened? You say, ah, I ran out of time. That's not acceptable. I asked you to, to give me a finished product. So that wouldn't be acceptable. But if you're writing an exam, and you're told you, two o'clock, you've got the exam is finished, you, you can't say at the end of it, I'm not finished yet, I need more time. That, so sometimes completion is defined by time, sometimes completion is defined by task. And it's important to clarify in our minds with each thing. What, is cons what does completion look like? Does completion time or is completion the, the task? So if I'm busy on something and I, I, I said to my wife, I'll meet you for lunch or for dinner, comes lunchtime or dinner time, you don't finish what you're doing. It's for fun. It's for, what can you do? The time's up. You've made another arrangement. Uh, you've got a shoe. You've got a kfiyas. You've got minion. You, you don't finish what you're doing. And we'll see in tomorrow's daf, then it comes the question of sometimes you don't start something because you can't finish it in time. If you know you're not going to have a, the right amount of time, or of Pesach and other times like that, you certain things you don't start doing in that case. 
because you're conscious of the fact that completion is defined by time, not by task. If you think completion is defined by task, then you can start anything because you'll finish it. But if you realize that completion is sometimes defined by time, you've got to look and see how much to have. I've got enough time to start this. And sometimes you start it and you don't finish it, and it's okay. That's the story of life, isn't it? Who's, who dies having completed what they wanted to achieve? It doesn't happen. It hardly ever happens. No matter how long we're blessed with good years, we're always planning more and doing more. Uh, There's a lovely story of a grandfather of a Talmud of mine. He, he lives in, in Etzron, I'm up there, Chemish now, but the grandfather used to live in Brussels, and at the age of 93 or 94, he came on Aliyah. And his children said, really, Grandpa? <laughs> Is this the time to go and start a new life? He said, absolutely. I don't think there's a future for Jews in Belgium. So that's how we think at age 94. What, what's the future? What can I still accomplish? We never, we never finish. A life doesn't finish what it's accomplished. And that's what the Rebbe teaches us. I also didn't finish what I set out to accomplish in Sheshish and And the result of that was certain negative forces left in the world. Then that's the Mitzis. Then that's what we have to deal with. But that's not going to change the time. So why didn't the revolution stop earlier and not even start the work? Because when you're productive and you're creative, a, cre a creative being, the revolution himself, doesn't stop creativity because you run out of time. You, don't, you, you stop when you run out of time, but not before you run out of time. You create and you create and you create. To, to the last minute you're creating. In a person's life, to the last minute you're creating. Erev Shabbos, to the last minute you're creating. You're learning a piece of Gemara, you're until the last moment that you can be Mechadish when you've got to close your Gemara. Uh, Briskarov used to say that, but it goes back earlier than the, than the Briskarov. So many times, you don't close the Gemara when people once asked him why he wasn't a Chachris, and he said, because I, 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 I didn't have enough sleep, I had to sleep later. And they said, but uh, why didn't you go to sleep earlier? He said, I was learning. So they said, why didn't you stop learning it? It comes the time. <laughs> the idea of says, you don't close a Gemara. You don't stop learning. You don't stop in the middle of the sugi. So there's some things you don't stop what you're doing. You carry on until you can't anymore. And there's some things, comes the time. The time is up. You stop what you're doing, even if it's unfinished. And we have to be able to know which is which in everything in your life. It's something you should start doing from today. In every task you're doing, is this governed by time or is this governed by completion of task? And then you have much more yeshivadas as you, as you get to that. One of the questions I was interested in is, why doesn't the Rav finish the Medrash? The Rav brings the first part and leaves us wondering. He tells us that he made these, these briyas, and then he ran out of time. But the Medrash says he did that lalamed. Why? That's the important thing. Otherwise, it's so absurd. Why not bring the lalamed? So here we understand what the Rav is, and the same with, with Rashi. You know how it is with the art scroll and the Masifta and the Lublin and all of these wonderful productions. Every Omud is, uh, is five Amudim. Every Duff is 20, 20 Duff. You're turning and you're turning and you're turning. The, um, you know, what pe people say nowadays, you say, what are you learning? You say, Masech the Shabbos. You say, um, uh, what volume? It didn't used to be that way. You're learning Masech the Shabbos. There's only one volume. There's so many Duffim. But Duff is a Duff. Until this generation, until 10, 15 years ago, a daf was a daf. Now a daf is five daf, six daf. The brilliance of Rashi and the Rav is you don't have to read and read and read to understand the Gemara. Go down the Rashi, it's a column. It's smaller than the Gemara itself. And you go down the column and you, and you, and you understand the sukkah as much as you need to understand. And you can go as deeply as you want to go and you can go as far as you want to go. But the pshat in the Gemara, you've got from Rashi. And so he leaves out anything that isn't part of the pshat. 
the Rav tells us, what do you need to know? You need to know what are these mazikin. These mazikin are unfinished ruchos from the time of the Bria. That's what they are. You want to know the philosophy, why, what was the intention, says the Rav. That's not the purpose of this work. You want to know that? Look at the Medrash. You want to know that? Go into the Zohar. Go find out the sources for that. My job is to just explain to you what's written, not why it's written and the philosophy behind it and the Hashkofa and the Musa. That's not what Rashi does. That's not what the Rav does. That's not what most Rishonim who are Meforshim do. They don't even go into the Lomdas. Those Rishonim who go into the Lomdas, that's a separate kind of a parish. But the Ramban and the Rashbo, they go into, into the Lomdas. But Rashi and the Ran and, the, and, and those Meforshim are here just to tell us what it says. And the Rav is the same on the Mishnah. What it says and what it says is what these mazikin are. But if we understand the Medrash, we begin to understand the whole idea of this, that the Rebbe was willing to sacrifice that there should be mazikim in the world because we need to understand that sometimes you leave things unfinished when you, uh, the time is up and you need to get ready for Shabbos.